everybody and welcome back to beware the artist i am jeremy jersa and with us this week we have sean harris um so sean if you want to tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what is it that you do <laughs> i'm sean harris um what do i do oh man uh, other than like play uh super mario odyssey that's probably not what you want to hear about uh i started my career in public as a, a singer in a punk band called The Matches um, in Oakland, California. We signed to Epitaph and spent about 10 years touring the world. And uh, <clears throat> and then most recently, for the last five or six years, I've been um, illustrating picture books for kids. I'm actually working on a graphic novel right now. Um, so uh, maybe splitting the audience. I When I was when I started uh, playing as a, uh, in, in, in the matches, I thought, well, wow, I'm like playing to the youngest audience possible. We, there, you know, there were like 13, 12, 13, 14 year olds in the crowd moshing and like, you know, uh, Elmer's gluing their hair up into mohawks. And, and but yet yeah, it turns out I found an audience even younger than those um, for my latest stuff. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's absolutely it's, hilarious. It's really, it's really actually funny uh, navigating the two worlds because I do still record music uh, largely for adults, um, and and then I make the books. And I find that on my Instagram now I have a bunch of followers that are following my picture book illustration work. And so when I want to post something like like recently a month ago I put out uh, I put out like a six song mixtape um i have to kind of be like okay well this is like I, I basically have to give a verbal rating system in my comment when i'm when i'm being like this one's for adults uh we have there's like explicit mentions of sex here and uh uh yeah i kind of end up like being the uh whatever the the the, the fcc for myself <laughs> I don't want one audience to like stumble into the other and be like, wait, where are we? What is well, this hell? Do you find um, do you find so, kids actually kind of following you on Instagram from the storybooks? You know, it's it, it's uh it's mostly their it's mostly their parents on that mm. platform. Um so uh yeah, there's sort of uh there's sort of a gatekeeper, but I do have to alert those gatekeepers because, you know, for instance, I'll post about the matches, the documentary about the matches called Bleeding Audio that just came out and I'll get a bunch of people saying, oh, a film about you. And I'm like, well, it's kind of, I mean, it is, I'm in it. And it's sort of just maybe wait till the kids go to sleep for that one. It's it's such a funny thing to navigate, but that's where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how did you and the matches kind of get your start? Um, Let's see, we, uh, we were a band, I, I met the guys in high school. Um, they actually formed in, in, uh, in elementary school <laughs> originally. Uh, that young crowd. Played, yeah, yeah, yeah. They mostly played, uh, they played covers until they met me. And th their best story from before I was a part of the band was playing, um, I used to love her, but I had to kill her um for the fifth grade talent show i think it was <laughs> and getting stopped in the middle of the song <laughs> um yeah i joined the band and then we we started writing originals in high school a couple of those originals ended up on our first record that we eventually in our early 20s ended up signing to epitaph so a couple of those early songs that we wrote when we were 14 or 15 ended up on there which is pretty wild <laughs> that that's that's crazy that's absolutely crazy um, yeah so i've been i've been doing it i've been doing it um, yeah yeah what would you say the the whole writing process was like for you how did how did you guys get into actually kind of writing these songs uh i mean we were we were a garage band first meaning that like you know we mostly like to get together and play Tony Hawk pro skater uh and like which was just re-released after school yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 
I know everything's coming full circle, right? Um, we mostly just wanted an excuse to like decompress after after school, um, and we weren't much good until, you know, well, arguably, <laughs> I don't know when we got much good, but uh, <laughs> people got interested in us after we graduated high school. We weren't really like much of a thing. I remember um, there was a band called Link Eighty that one of the guys went to our high school. And they were just like, they were just like my like punk rock idols because like they existed in my world. One of the guys overlapped with me in high school and they were playing shows when they were that age. Like we never, you know, we would throw shows in, in like our own backyards or if someone's parents went out of town or something, we'd try to play for 20 people in a basement or something. But yeah, it, it wasn't until after high school that we like, started trying to record these songs that we had already played for six or seven years. It wasn't until recording the songs that I realized that as a lyricist, I had to like sing the same thing mm. every time on a song. So I would just kind of like, I would just like basically freestyle <laughs> over, <laughs> over punk songs. Nobody, it was so loud and like we had bad TAs. So nobody could really tell what you were saying. I knew there were certain parts that I would like sing the same, but a verse would come and I would just kind of spout gibberish into the microphone and nobody <laughs> noticed. So it wasn't until we like, till we started recording the songs and people were like, what, what are you actually saying? Like, oh, well, you want to know what I'm saying? And then I started realizing that if we were going to get anywhere. I had to <laughs> spend a little time with the pen. <laughs> Um, so do you see any connection between your kind of music making process and your kind of studio art making, um, you know, work? Uh, I mean, there are some big similarities in that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, freelance, i.e. I work for myself in both fields, um, which is awesome because uh you know if i want to like go on a surf trip i don't have to ask anybody and i can just pick up and go and bring my ipad and hope that i record some music or uh draw while i'm gone too but you know it comes back and bites me as well um case in point this month when i'm i've got basically a chart that's just mapping out 16 hour drawing days and <laughs> i'm like oh my god how am I going to get to February 1st? But, um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm pretty good about making deadlines for myself. I've learned that and trying to be a, trying to be a good boss, which turns out being a good boss just means like, you know, making reasonable expectations um, for myself, which I didn't always have, you know, I, I have a habit of, of, uh, you know, really kind of, over over tiring myself i remember that back in the day too just like going on three or four days of no sleep to get something finished before some deadline that i can't even remember why it even mattered but you know you figure yeah. it out yeah I'm, I'm with you I, I i tend to spread myself way too thin um That's it. yeah um so at what point did you kind of start to go into the the illustration work um what were you doing in terms of you know outside of the music because that ha that started to happen for you pretty young um kind of yeah. going into the music industry I mean I've always kind of it was before the music that I was that I thought I was going to be an artist I mean as a kid I wanted to be an animator and go work for Disney or something like that um and it wasn't until honestly getting rejected into I wanted to go to CalArts to learn animation but I had no I had basically no computer background and I didn't take life drawing classes in high school um, and I found out once I submitted they were like oh you have some cool like excuse me character design stuff but um, you know come back in a year after you take some like junior college courses mm -hmm. and apply again and it was really that year that I was so frustrated because you know, I kept my grades up and did everything that that I that I thought was possible. But I, you know, my school wasn't very like arts oriented. They were like, it was a it was a Catholic high school that was really proud of like you know feeding students into like the UC system and mm. and um, and uh, so yeah, I just didn't have the 
the art background that I wish I did in retrospect. However, it was because of that year when I was supposed to be focusing on making my, you know, art resume better that I really, that's when the matches took off. So, yeah. you know, I can't be too revisionist about it because it's a whole different sliding glass door <laughs> if I go so, that way. So what's going on in the, when you have these 16 hour drawing days, um, mm -hmm. what's kind of going on in the studio for you? Do you have music playing? Do you have <laughs> your drinks lined up? What's, what's going on? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I listen to stuff according to mood and right now I'm working on uh, a graphic novel um, so let's see this this past week um, I went from listening to uh, saw, saw music you know the instrument that's like it's like a working saw but you bend it and play it with a violin oh bow. yeah 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 um, I, there it was like you know briefly a popular instrument during like early sci-fi film <laughs> it's that like moon music that, <laughs> this is a great movie called uh, delicatessen that has like the most amazing saw scene in it anyway. anyway i've been listening to saw music um this week because there's a bunch of stuff set on the moon in this graphic novel i wanted to get into that mode uh i've also been listening to there was a uh like a caving a caving scene and I wanted some like the sound of kind of like broken gems and just off kilter stuff. So I was listening to Arco, which is like a Venezuelan um, kind of, she's like a sound sound sculptress from Venezuela. She just recently released an album that's a hundred songs. Well, it's one song remixed by artificial intelligence a hundred different ways. Wow. Uh, and And actually it came from uh, an art installation that she did where uh, the AI, basically the algorithm will take her sounds and remix them infinitely. And she also made a video that's an infinite remix of the video that goes with the infinite remixes of the song. It's pretty wild stuff. So it, it's really like break my brain music. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't usually listen, uh, when I'm working on this stuff, I can't usually listen to like lyric heavy stuff like lyric based stuff because then that activates my songwriting brain and when I hear like a line that I think is like uh and when I hear like a good line then I start wanting to write like that in my head and going oh what if I said something like this oh that reminds me of this thing that I did and then I get distracted so mm -hmm. um yeah mostly instrumental when I'm drawing but I do listen to a lot of bands when I'm not drawing <laughs> it was funny I was uh I was talking to another artist and they were telling me um they they like to listen to NPR while they're while they're painting and um then we kind of I can do that we, we, we got into a conversation yeah. about um how many paintings or, or how many works of art do you think are made from listening to uh Terry Gross's Fresh Air and my, <laughs> my mind was kind of blown I was like this is this is wild this is absolutely totally. wild um, but I, know, I, it, I love that, the fact it, that, uh, oh, what were you saying? It'd be great if like works of art could be geotagged in some way so you could find out that where it, like where they came from. Yeah, yeah. I, it uh, wouldn't be great. I mean, that's <laughs> but like interesting also, yeah. Um, I would uh, love to see a show just kind of, you know, titled Fresh Air and then just see all the paintings just all see at everything once. That was painted <laughs> yeah. During, yeah, yeah. One episode even would be even more interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you want to talk more about this graphic novel that you have kind of working on? Or no, the show's titled Gross. Oh, yeah, that would be great, too. But it's all Terry inspired. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the graphic novel that you're working on, uh, what's yeah. what's going on there? So, uh, it's called <laughs> the, the First Cat in Space Ate Pizza. It is a um, right when, right when uh, the stay-at-home orders of quarantine started last year, um, my good friend, my oldest friend, my childhood friend, um, who's also an author, a children's book author, Mac Barnett. <clears throat> um, he's kind of the reason why, as an artist, I kind of like hovered in the peripheries of the book illustration world for a number of years, um, just because I was always Mac's friend who came with him to publishing parties and stuff. So like uh, my current, my picture book agent, I like, I was Max's friend who had a Super 8 camera that shot his wedding. And I was like, you know, 
Mac's friend at like a picture book retreat at Carson Ellis and, and Colin Malloy's house or whatever, you know, like I was always like, I, like I was an artist and one day I was like, one day someone will ask me to do a book with them. Um, I just kind of felt it and eventually it happened. Um, my first book was with a guy named Dave Eggers who wrote, who writes mostly novels uh, for adults, um, but wrote a picture book and saw my work and thought it would be good for it. So it happened um, eventually. But uh, what, what was the beginning of your question? Cause I've, I've really like taken a left turn with my mind cart here. Yeah. So the, uh, the graphic novel that you're working on. Oh, the on. graphic novel. Yeah. That's right. At the beginning of quarantine, uh, all of these, you know, like basically our, our audience for our picture books were all stuck at home going like, Oh, what do we do? And this is before they like organized school and parents were like, ah, we can't do our jobs. And, so we started doing a show. Um, it was a, we called it live cartoons and weekly we would like perform a cartoon, a cartoon on Saturdays that was like uh, kind of a cross between a, like a, it was kind of a paper doll puppet show. I was using a lot of animation tricks, but I, I was also just like kind of panning over a lot of still images while me and Mac did all the voices. So he would write the scripts. I would draw all week and we would do this. And there was just this kind of like, paused world for a couple months there and so all these parents just started like parking their kids in front of these things every week uh you know to get 15 minutes to go like you know uh, return emails or do the dishes or whatever it was that yeah. was not getting done the rest of the week and uh and uh it was a it was this really weird at this time when community was just dashed because we weren't able to see people we made this like really you know we were part of this really cool community that just popped up surrounding like ah, what do we do with our kids right now uh and yeah we were like the entertainers for a little bit of that period um and then uh we ended up writing this this kind of wild moon saga that, that uh a publisher reached out to us and said hey uh you want to turn that into a graphic novel we want you to um so now we're making that. It's pretty. That's pretty exciting. The show ended up being basically our, uh, you know, our rough draft, our sketch, our outline of what mm -hmm. the book is. And now we're like really going in depth, and it's really fun. We actually released, uh, you know, to tie my two, um, you know, uh, the, the two. Uh, what do I want to call it? The, the these practices to tie my two practices of art and music together um i uh, uh we actually recorded an album because each episode had a song in it that we were also producing that i was also producing at the same time and 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 uh we put out the album probably when we drop the graphic novel we'll put out the album on vinyl uh the band is sean and mac pretty on the nose <laughs> and mac made it uh and the album is called the first cat in space ate pizza and <laughs> i promised i promised my music fans that at the beginning of 2020 that i would put out an album in 2020 and and then i ended up dropping a kid's album <laughs> so <laughs> i felt like i was really neglecting the adults but you know they can take it but then a month ago um i put out some more music for for adults too um under my solo moniker which is saint ranger whenever i have to explain like what i'm working on it, it seems so complicated like geez it's like if you wanted to follow me like where do you even just say one thing sean stop doing all this <laughs> well that, that, that's kind of one thing about your career that i i kind of absolutely love is that you've you've embraced this art this artist lifestyle in, in a certain <laughs> sense. You, you have all these different facets of, of what are kind of pivoting from one to another and like you're constantly creating. Um, I, I would you, like to take a moment you. I to- appreciate uh, that. You would think that I would be good, sorry, but you would think that I would be good at um, multitasking because <laughs> all these things seem to happen, but like I can't at all. I, I just like, I focus, I can only focus on one thing until it's done and like get it done. I like, and I put it out and that's the, that's the point. I realized a long time ago that, that putting out uh, a project that you've worked on, uh, it's, it's hard. It's like the pro the project is done and you want to like revel 
and bask in this like sense of completion, but it's actually, it means that you have nothing else to do. So I've found the best way to deal with that is just to like wildly pivot <laughs> into the next project. So I never have to deal with the existential dread of like, how are people receiving this work? Like, I don't want to think about that. Sorry, I cut you off. Where were we going? No, it's fine. Um, it kind of, you know, it, it flows kind of nicely into the, this next question. Um, just taking a minute to talk about uh, St. Ranger itself, because yeah. that, that whole process of, you know, loading yourself up in an, in an airstream and recording and traveling. I think I even saw a video of you recording in like a cave like a little yeah. crevice yeah, yeah. at some yeah. point um, that it's just such a, a, a kind of full-blown experience. Um, but at the same time, you're forcing yourself to isolate and then focusing on that one project. Um, so I think yeah. that kind of, that, that kind of fills into that kind of mode of working that you were, you were talking about. Yeah, totally. At, at that time I was, uh, I was done. I was done with Los Angeles. Um, mm -hmm. I moved there, met a bunch of great people. So many great musicians lived there, but I just like, I, I needed to escape before I became a Los Angeles uh, resident, like in my own head. I just, I just had to, I just had to escape that for whatever reason. And, and, um, and I got really excited about a friend gave me a, a field recorder, like a zoom field recorder. And I was like, what? Like, the world sounds awesome in stereo. So for like, a, <laughs> for like a week, I walked around LA with this field recorder with my headphones plugged into it and was just like, oh, stereo, stereo, everything. Uh, and then as I got really into that and then, and at the same time, we were fixing up an old Airstream trailer and we finished fixing that up. Uh, me and my girlfriend at the time got married and uh, we drove to Texas and got married and then just got in that Airstream and didn't come home for two years. Well, we didn't have a home for two years, I suppose, is the technical way of putting that. <laughs> um, it was, that was great. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, it's, uh, I don't know. It's not that different than what I'm doing now. I mean, I sit at the same desk a lot more now that I, I don't know that I could focus on a graphic novel with all that world in front of me but for that mm -hmm. project when I was going and collecting sounds it was like I felt like it was my job to go on a hike and try to like see what a hummingbird sounded like you know right, um, right. and put that all on the record but then that record became sort of the picture of what that was and I had to I, I pivoted pretty hard off of that into illustrating my first picture book too so yeah um, so your 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 friend Mac you guys you've written and illustrated kind of things together um yeah we just put out our first uh our first official project together was called a polar bear in the snow uh is a picture book and it came out in fall of this year yeah so what's uh what's what's that what's that book about uh it, it's pretty on the nose it's about a polar <laughs> bear uh who is in the snow <laughs> uh it, it stemmed from an idea that i had actually with an illustration so uh, I guess, yeah, because of our friendship, it worked a little different. I drew a picture, uh, and asked Mac, like, Hey, how would you go about writing this? Cause you know, I'm, I can, you know, I think of myself as a writer. In fact, back in the day when I used to be on tour with the matches and we would be, you know, like living in a bus in, in Europe on a tour or something like that. And people would ask me, Oh, what do you do when it wasn't in the context of excuse me when it wasn't in the in the context of the music venue I didn't really like the way people looked at me when I said I was a I was in a in a band um <laughs> so I would just always tell people I was a writer and then if the conversation like progressed then I would be I would you know uh elucidate that I was a songwriter but otherwise uh yeah, I would just keep it. I'm a writer. So I've thought of myself as a writer since since I figured out that I had to write words uh, if we we're going to record songs instead of sing scat. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, uh, writing a book is a is a different beast and, you know, illustrating a graphic novel and like I'm basically writing the pictures to max dialogue. So it's it's all um, it's 
it's all there but yeah mac is like has has always been like the guy um the guy like you know typing typing the words ever since we were ever since we were young he was like the writer one and i would be the illustrator um yeah but i'm but i also have a couple of books coming out now that i've written i've just i've learned a lot from him mm-hmm. polar bear a polar bear in the snow was basically the start of, of me trying to figure out how he does what he's doing and it and it the point that he gave me as many suggestions as he did for the book I was like yeah it feels like you kind of wrote that you didn't really leave much for me to say there do you want to uh want to put your name on it you know so So in in that whole process how do you I mean I'm sure it's it's easier when you're working with with a friend but um in other circumstances, how do you go about kind of staying true to the author's vision and then kind of putting enough of yourself into these illustrations? Well, it's a good question because it's something that I'm, that I always think about. Um, But I've decided that the answer uh, is that, that, that I should put uh, like never, the answer is to not think about that question as much as it's tempting to think about. I try to, I just kind of go all the way. And I, and I think, look, if, if the author sees my interpretation of their work and it's not reflective of what they were thinking and they don't like it, uh, I hope that they can tell me that uh, or fire me and find somebody else for the job (laughs) but I I like to but I like to think about I do think a lot about um uh you know making the the illustrations serving the idea um that they're that they're interested in and while that may mean at times not drawing exactly what they've specified on the page like sometimes it's a complimentary image sometimes it's not exactly like he was holding a cup and then you see someone holding a cup you might they might the sentence might say and he was holding a cup and then uh and then you know I show I draw someone who's thirsty looking up at a shadow you know like Mm -hmm. it, it may be something like that but like I'm also trying to delight the the author kind of there's a sort of a game within a game where I'm I'm not trying to like surprise them and be contrarian but I want them to be like whoa like there's there's more depth here than when the words left as a manuscript you know yeah yeah so yeah it almost becomes that kind of fourth dimension of realizing the 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 work that they've envisioned in in a certain sense yeah, I mean, there's a really great thing that happened. This happens with bands too. Like when I, you know, Saint Ranger is largely me uh, playing music with myself. So there's a sound that Saint Ranger has, and I do have some musicians come in. Uh, for instance, my wife played drums on my latest six or seven songs that I put out. Um, but you know, it's uh, like largely i'm uh i'm i'm like heavily producing or like basically like writing the drum part and being like hey play it like this and and then and then i get her vibe on it and her take is like sort of the sound but it's it, it, you know i'm i'm still kind of composing it but like with a band like the matches those songs i can't control <laughs> how they release that because i'm not going to go and t- like it's just the dynamic of that band I can suggest to Justin Sansusi how the kind of a vibe for a bass line or suggest he turns on a distortion pedal or something, but like, there's no way that I'm gonna like write a part that he's gonna play just because he has such a distinct style to his playing. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of feel that way about illustrators and author working with authors is that I'm sort of their unruly bass player or their drummer or their band basically you know they've written some lyrics and a cool melody and then I get to come in and like decide when to get out of the way and when to come in and hit hard and Mm -hmm. you know yeah 
I think that's a, a great metaphor. It, it becomes a, an orchestra, you know, you're, you're yeah. moving parts and, and they all create this one, you know, unified vision kind of moving forward. Exactly, exactly. Oh, and when so, you're involving people, you know, you have to be a little careful involving people because you need to involve the right people. But, you know, one, you know, like, like, like if, like John Devoto from the matches to use another one of those examples can like rip a guitar solo. Like, so, uh, like, do I, like, he's not going to be the right guitar player on everything, uh-huh. but like when it's, there's, because I, I, you know, I'll write, I'll write a, I'll write a song and like, you can imagine like, at this point, you know, I've got a batch of songs that I send to the matches. Believe it or not, we actually have written more music. <laughs> Hopefully post-COVID, when we get vaccinated and everything, we can get together and actually record some of it. Um, it's been a while, we've it's been a while since we've recorded. Um, but yeah, there are songs that I write still that get put into a matches pile because I'm like, oh man, like some cool guitar and bass and drum stuff has to happen there that's going to be a matches song. I can feel it. And then there's other stuff that ends up like on the St. Ranger release where I like, it's just kind of clear to me, like, well, if I'm not going to use those guys, if I already have a guitar lead in my head or something like that, I'm not going to give it to John DeVoto because I don't want to be in a position where I'm like, here's exactly what all of you have to do. That, that makes it St. Ranger. And sometimes mm-hmm. I know what all the instruments should do. So I just make that my own. And when I have question marks and I'm like, this is the vibe, then that goes to the band, you know? And I, but like, yeah. And, and then, so you become like this sort of like this sort of executive producer where you're deciding which group of people make the right sound for this, for this thing. Um, yes. Yes. And some, and it, you know, it doesn't always work out. Like there are a couple matches songs that we like tried to record year after year and we just couldn't get it right and i was like uh i'll let me try that with maniac or let me try that with my solo stuff you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. sometimes you don't put the right piece in there and you get it wrong but it's pretty clear when something's not quite landing if it's kind of i feel like there's a um like you have to as a as an artist you work at your at your craft and do a lot of work that never ends up being published. Like most of the songs I start writing don't get finished. Most, you know, they end up like four lines and like an interesting melody that sits in a voice note for years and I forget about. Uh, most most drawings that I do are me like practicing drawing, drawing 50 versions of a character trying to find the perfect stance mm-hmm. to put in the book or whatever, you know? Um, and you just keep on doing that, uh, but uh, you know, what? I don't know where I was going with that. Most stuff doesn't get. Most stuff doesn't get used. <laughs> I, I feel like that's uh, that, that's most artists' studio practice. Um, that's one thing I always have to reiterate to to my students is that right. um, you know you you're only seeing at these shows or in the museums or on Instagram you're seeing a curated view of what this artist is producing not everything yeah. leaves the studio not everything is a, a gold shiny you know polished thing to, to throw out there into the world and I, I feel yeah. there's so many uh so many creatives they they forget that sometimes and then it becomes this kind of uh you know they, they beat themselves up over and over well, again yeah yeah when it, i mean once once deadlines get involved i think that's why you find like sophomore slumps in albums and stuff mm-hmm. like the the freshman album is never on a deadline because there's no fans there's no one demanding <laughs> it there's no label you know it's always the second record when you're like ah we've got these 14 songs the album has to be 12 of them you know like um the the thing about uh you know, doing all the iterations, like art making music is not, it's not, it's not easy. And you do a lot of it to, to, you know, separate the, what is that aphorism, the, the wheat from the chaff or whatever it is. I don't even know what chaff is, but anyway, uh, hopefully it's not inappropriate. If you, but you do, uh, you do all this work and, and then, uh, but, but, the good ones, I will say, like the good, the good illustrations, the good songs, 
usually end up being the easy ones. So you kind of like, you kind of just have to be water and just roll with the, roll with the hills. If something feels like you're playing five songs with a band and one of them is like really fun and you finish and you finish it pretty simply and like, ah, oh, that's, that's, that's the direction we got ahead. Cause like that would felt, felt good. It was exciting. It was, you know, quote unquote easy. Now to finish the song, to like actually produce it right, and program all the right drums and like get the vocal take just right. That can be like arduous and hard. So like, but there's a, there's a point in the creation process uh, when I think, when, when I always know like, oh, this is going to be really good. Now you can take like a, you can take a hard song or a hard idea that you've been like, laboring over and laboring over and laboring over and like keep improving it to the point where it gets on par with some other good work but like I feel like I can always listen to the record and know which tunes were easy for the band to make and those are the ones uh-huh. I always tend to enjoy listening to are there are there any songs that you're just like I can't believe we put that out and I'm, I'm ashamed of oh it. yeah yeah oh yeah most of them really <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean uh, i don't know i my style of my style of lyric writing is like if if it doesn't feel like i'm not going to regret having said it it doesn't quite feel like it's kind of like um you know when in in when you're eating and like I, I like spicy food and like when you get used to spicy food you're like if it doesn't burn like did I even did I even have lunch like if my right, mouth right. doesn't hurt you know um I, you know I kind of feel that way about songwriting sometimes where it's just like if it doesn't hurt to get it out if it doesn't like if I don't immediately wish that I didn't put that person's real name in the song or whatever thing it is like did I, does it matter if I wrote it at all? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I don't know. And it's funny, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I've never, (laughs) I've never put out music and gone like, I can't wait for everybody I know to hear this. I'm like, oh, why did I put that out? Oh, that's great. That's great. So yeah. are there kind of, uh, do you, do you look back at this documentary that's coming out and you just say, wow, I'm, I'm completely embarrassed. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> My face was so red in the back of that theater. Um, we got to, we played after, uh, one of the, I think the first screening, um, up in the Bay area, like right before, right before COVID hit. Um, and yeah, I was sitting in the back of the theater. We did a Q&A afterwards and I could like, I honestly felt like I was on like some heavy hallucinogens. I was like, this is, this is wild, man. Like the room was kind of spinning and everybody watched this weird version of my life that I didn't, you know, I mean like, yeah, it, it wasn't the story of how I would tell my own story. I mean, I, I guess I probably wouldn't tell my own story. So it's kind of neat that someone made it, but like, yeah I'm it was weird it was a weird experience <laughs> I do I mean you know if you can get through life without seeing a movie uh largely about your life like you're doing all right I think <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> um, I mean, yeah there was no like there was there was no um there was like the the climax of the movie didn't revolve around like a heroin overdose so that was like I guess it could have been worse but yeah yeah there was a lot of me in that movie, like really earnestly trying to sound like Tim Armstrong, which is so embarrassing. Um, I mean, his voice sounds cool on him and him alone, but <laughs> I really wanted people to think I was a punk on Epitaph Records. And guess what? I was. Yeah. I have to yeah. talk like the other punk on Epitaph Records. Yeah. Okay. I think yep. when I actually, uh, when I saw you live when you came to I'm, I'm from Baltimore um mm-hmm. so you guys play in Maryland at uh the record theater which closed down and recently just opened back up but um I think it was a epitaph tour I think it was you guys escape the fate the hire um yep. and I think there was another band actually um but I can't, uh, remember, can't remember completely from first to last from first to last amazing yeah 
Yeah. What, what a great kind of group. Anyway. AKA what would become Skrillex. So yeah. strange. So strange. Right? <laughs> Another uh, artistic pivot, we'll say. <laughs> big time. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I say big time, but then also like, yeah, duh, obviously. That kid was so talented. He just joined the band on that tour. Um, if I can like just detour real quick to yeah yeah talk about to talk about Sonny just really quick he had just joined the band he was like doing homeschooling stuff on the tour because he was still high school aged um, and he replaced a former singer that was in the band so he was like kind of playing music that he didn't write with the band but then he was working with them on writing the next record uh, and you know he's like 15 years old or something like that like a little pimple-faced kid and he uh he could play I remember at soundcheck one night you know we were kind of like ah who is this like I the the like screamo scene wasn't really my jam I was more of like a power pop like Weezer kid you know mm -hmm. so I was sort of like ah yeah, cool I get it warp tour uh, <laughs> but like he came up he came up on stage and none of his band were around yet and the sound check guy was was ready to sound check and he's like well i guess we could do your voice because you know sonny's 15 and he sings so he's like okay and he checks his voice and then the guy's like where's the rest of your band he's like i don't know uh you want the guitar and the guy's like well you know I'll get the guitar i kind of want to hear it sound like it does in the song and he's like oh no problem he picks up their lead guitar player's song and just like rips like a double like two-hand tapping like guitar solo from from one of their songs and i was like what like <laughs> that's some that was it, was it was like it was such a prodigy move like what this kid is so young and he could play the guitar like that he's like you want the drums he goes and plays kills the drums for one of their songs he's like you want the bass and he goes and plays the bass i'm like what and then like i saw him play piano on that tour too and he was just like playing mozart on some piano backstage and it was like who is this so like you know, when he became as influential as he did in the electronic music scene, I was like, he can do anything, you guys. Like, careful, he can do anything. <laughs> that's that's absolutely wild. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are there um are there any gigs for you that really just kind of stand out in your mind as just as just kind of when you're looking back in your memories and you go, that was that was a top night for me. Mm. Um. <sighs> Yeah, I, you know, like, I would always get a little queasy uh, recount, like, playing the same show more than once, but, but, it, like, it's impossible to ignore the fact that, like, as a tour progresses, your stage patter, the banter on stage, like, everything, like, you can dial it in to be, like, really effective with a crowd. Um, so I see why it happened, like why bands do it, why it happens that like Green Day says the same thing in between every song in all, you know, all 50 yeah, yeah. shows that they do in the United States, but like on a tour, but, but like, I don't know, maybe it was because I knew like people were traveling to some of our stuff to see three or four shows in a region or something, but like, I would always like the broken shows where we like, where things fell apart or wouldn't go as planned. And I would kind of try, honestly try to break shows myself mm -hmm. by like hopping in the crowd and, and like crowd surfing to a point where I knew I couldn't get back to my guitar when it was just me playing. So that like <laughs> John had to like really quick, like play something similar to my part that I knew he didn't know. Like we would always <laughs> kind of do things to just like slightly break the show. We were never a tight live band, but I think we were a pretty interesting live band um because we liked things kind of coming off the rails and being a bit punk rock in that regard because then at least if you one a show that i remember like really vividly that i didn't play was uh was well no we were on tour with this band so another like a band i was on tour with thing but i saw we were on tour with real big fish and they're their crowd like notoriously like a third of their audience only knew like their two radio songs <laughs> they knew sell out and beer and their crowd would kind of like notoriously shout for those songs even after the band played them <laughs> and one night on the tour we were we were we were on with them this is our first national tour too so i was like very you know i was just watching them going like oh how do you like command a room full of 
you know, 2,500 kids. Like, how do, how do you do that? And, and we're standing outside the stage and somebody shouted for sellout right after they played sellout. He's like, we just played it. And then, and then the drummer just like one, two, three, four, and they played sellout twice in a row. <laughs> it was funny. We were like, ha. And then, and then they played beer. And then they were, you want sellout again? They played sellout again. They played beer again. They played sellout beer, sellout beer, sellout beer. And then like the crowd, like there was a dip when the crowd was like, oh no, they're going to play these two songs for an hour and a half. Like, what have we done? We've (laughs) ruined our night. And like the crowd got bummed. Like people went to the bathroom, like people were getting drinks, sitting down, talking. It was the weirdest. Nobody was like skanking or dancing or whatever they do at Real Big Fish shows anymore. And then, like, they got past this lull, and the band was like, no, we're powering through. Like, they did this to themselves. We're making a point. They powered through. And then, like, people, like, returned to the dance floor, and then they would, like, they knew what was going on, and then, like, got back into it. The band went off stage. They came on for an encore. The crowd was back in on the joke and yelling for sellout again. They played sellout <laughs> as an encore. It was amazing. It was, like, one of the coolest shows. And then, like, so I think that mentality has always just appealed to me. Um, you know, you hear about like things like that with like Iggy Pop or like, you know, the David Bowie just blowing shows or whatever it was, you know, but like, I just like, that's how it happened in my generation. It was real big fish. And I saw a Papa Roach show when I was in high school <laughs> where the, where the bass player just like, just, it was in the bass player, just destroyed the drum kit, like kicked it apart. But it, like, like you would for like the last song in your set, except mm-hmm. It was the first song in their set. Oh my god! <laughs> and they couldn't. They had no <laughs> had nothing to do to play anymore. So they played literally one song while they were opening. They were first of three. First of three. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "That was amazing!" Like, who? What was that band? Who was that? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just super memorable. Um, you know, I, I I don't have any feelings about that band or their music. Like, or I think I do have feelings, and I don't really like them, but. <laughs> super memorable show and like I kind of like them because of it so I don't know I was just trying to like leave a leave a leave a mark on people's evenings whether it was good or bad some of them were good I think we played some good shows but we weren't always trying to (laughs) so you you hinted a little bit at new matches music is that is that going to is that going to happen uh I mean yeah like we we before this year we had intended to get together and and record an album and for a little while we were trying to send files back and forth um i've successfully done that with like one or two musicians before um but uh you know four four guys with varying levels of like recording chops <laughs> uh, a few of us are really comfortable a couple hobby you know justin's kind of like hobbyist but good and Matt's like I don't I'm not gonna I don't what do I hit record on (laughs) so yeah I mean we got to get together I also think like you know the matches the sound of the matches is very much like uh sort of uh getting together uh just being in the same room it's like I mentioned before like I don't you don't want to like you don't want to like put one of those guys in a box and be like, Hey, play exactly this. Like, Hey, I yeah. wrote you apart. It's not how the band sounds the best. It's not really how that that band works, but like, but you want to be around to influence each other too. And mm-hmm. like, this goes like from them to me too. Like they, you know, I might be like singing a song at the top of my lungs and they might be like, Hey, it'd be really cool if you kind of like laid back on this one and kind of like half voiced it or like did it an octave lower which you know if i spent the time recording that got excited about it married to it like perfected it comped the vocal and then they said that i'd be like oh inconvenient you know but if they said (laughs) that when we're in practice i'd be like cool let me try it you know Mm -hmm. yeah um so yeah i think it's the we got we got to get we didn't always record you know we would sometimes record drum and bass live together so it's not like it's not like, oh, oh, mate, you've just got to be there and play it all. You just jam it out. It's not like we're the Stones or anything. Like, we would uh-huh. multi-track, but we were 
we would at least get the songs in the same room sounding like they could be performed live before we would then go and multi-track them. Um, so yeah, I, I think we got to like lock eyes and see each other to do that album. But yeah, it's something to look forward to. We were, yeah. we were at one point, it was like, oh, maybe when the documentary comes out, we'll put out a, a, put out a record simultaneously and do a little tour. But I'm glad we didn't push for that because this is not the year for it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> another thing uh, I think with uh, with just you in general as a person, you've been extremely generous with, with your fans and your kind of connection to the fans. I feel as though you're always kind of open to, you know, conversations or or you know me contacting you for for this podcast um and just kind of that that back and forth um Mm -hmm. even even doing you know tours you know and you know revisiting those those places and 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 having those moments again that people can relive um do you want to talk to how is is that important to you is that something that just happens um what's what's that about um yeah i mean you know I'm like, uh, I, I feel like it's, it's always, there's always the kind of like an internal conflict of like, of I, I mentioned like finishing something and then like needing to go on and start something new before I can tell if like, did that, did that work? Or are people liking it? Like I, I can't, I, I can't really focus on that aspect of it, but a really important part of um a lot of my projects is like the community that may or may not develop around around said project now like if your community doesn't <laughs> develop I, I i won't be watching i don't know but um the yeah the, the communities that have developed around some of like these things i've done with picture books or um uh like i was talking about with the first cat in space or the matches really became like this kind of like uh this Oakland L3 kind of this, 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 this certain type of person you wouldn't be surprised to see with a, um, with a matches tattoo. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I mean, those, those things like that kind of have a life beyond the one that I, you know, intended and then finished, like they're always end up being a, a totally different thing. And I'm like, I just, you know, I'm really, I feel really lucky to like be, to be a part of them and, um, you know, to, yeah, try to, try to go and, and I don't know, just, just kind of like join these clubs. Like I'm not join these clubs that I've kind of like sort of thrown a few things at that they've made something else out of. I, I, I have a, a record club called Pretend Record Club me and a friend of mine tim deville take turns producing each other's songs and we put it out like biannually it was supposed to be a quarterly but we put out a couple uh, a year on vinyl and mailed them to people so it's like a mail order record club uh-huh. um and uh the last song that i did you were talking about community and i was like oh here's a good place to talk about this uh the last song that i did is a song called blood spatter and it just came out like a week ago and um and i i did a tarot draw from a tarot deck that I made that I illustrated and then had people send me sound clips that the cards divine. And uh, I ended up using uh, 16 submissions and I, and I uh, edited them together and crafted them into an original tune that I basically wrote with all these people. And uh, we split the royalties evenly. I split like the, the profit off of after we sent out the records I sent checks to all the people that wrote on it and like taught everyone how to do like a lot most of these people were not musicians mm-hmm. prior to this uh so i taught them all how to set up their their bmi publishing accounts uh via like an instagram live and so now all these people have publishing accounts and they'll watch this like uh it's sort of like a primer on like how the music industry works but now they can like actually in real time with a statement see like the fraction of a penny that rolls in like every time 16 people listen on the spotify they'll get a piece of it they'll get a penny and like <laughs> like uh i don't know it's just like the communal aspect of of making art whether it be being in a band or collaborating with an author or um you know 
using people's samples and pieces of their life to make stuff is like an interesting one to me because I'm actually not that comfortable just being generally social. Like I don't mm-hmm. like to just like pick up a beer and sit on a couch and talk about stuff. Like I needed projects to do with people, but I really love people. I like to be part of a community, but like I do way better and have a lot less anxiety about it if we're making something. So yeah, yeah. I usually try to have all of my community driven stuff be based on making something. I do, I'm not the guy that goes to like thousands of shows just to see other bands play because I'm not making anything. So it kind of stresses me out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. What are uh, what would you what what's a goal that you have? Do you set goals for yourself with the projects you're working on? And if so, do you have um, something that that like, that's out there that you want to achieve um, at some point in your career? Oh, um... <laughs> I mean, I'm good. I just want to keep making keep making stuff. You know, like yeah, yeah. We. Uh, Uh, like you know me and my wife uh you know tried to make a family and uh did a bunch of IVF and stuff and that didn't that didn't work um and uh so I've, I've like come around to this idea of like oh if I genetically want to pass the torch if I want to be like okay here's all the stuff I learned like now come and like learn how to make comic books with me kid or like come surfing with me or here's how to play the guitar like I, I can I can I can do that by making books for kids by like visiting schools I can affect a lot of kids in a little way instead of a little kid in a lot of ways um and I'm good with that like I just it makes me have to like I can't pass my torch anywhere I've, I've got to keep holding it so I'm gonna keep yeah. making stuff you know yeah yeah, yeah. that that's beautiful that's uh, you know that's that's the um you know I feel like that's how most teachers feel you know um Mm -hmm. they I know a lot of teachers that you know they 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 end up not having kids because they they say you know I have 5,000 that have come through my classroom at some point in time and and that that kind of mentoring doesn't really end for 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 those those kind of individuals and I, I feel that connection that you're you're starting to kind of talk about you know passing mm-hmm. passing on that information um i feel like vinyl is something that's really important to you um yeah do you want to talk about that you know it, it's not yeah i love i love vinyl but it's not just vinyl it's just like a, i do like physical i like the physical idea of music um mm-hmm. you know there's a fair bit of nostalgia just baked into me being a kid before streaming or before mp3s and um you know uh i started my work professionally as an illustrator making album art now album art isn't really a thing it's kind of an album jpeg you know Mm -hmm. so um unless you make vinyl or a physical release so um i do like i like the sound of music on vinyl i like putting on a record and it's warm and it and it's it's warm and it crackles and it's it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, putting a fire in the hearth. Is it actually heating your house? No, the split system that we installed is doing that. But the fire is the vibe, you know? So I feel like vinyl is a great vibe for music, uh-huh. um, for a lot of music that I like. Um, but uh, yeah, I just like the idea of, of, of making art, making a collectible thing. And let's be honest, like, um, you know, the, the streaming economy supports, you know, the top the top you know one percent two percent of artists uh are stream enough millions of Mm -hmm. you know billions of songs to have a (laughs) a noticeable income off of it um for the rest of us it's we have to have our music there it's um but uh we you know we if we're gonna break even or make any money doing this really cool activity slash hobby slash sometimes job that we do we've got to we've got to tour we've got to give we've got to give our fans other ways to support us mm-hmm. you know one of those ways is putting out vinyl because there are fans that collect it um and like to collect it and it's cool for me to put out an album 
like Yvonne Dahl kill the locals and then see it like you know see the cheapest ones selling on Discogs for 250 bucks now like it's cool to have like made something that has value because it was limited and yeah, people are yeah. like snatched it up and if you missed it you missed it and I was one of those people that yeah. missed it <laughs> ah, well, I see you I see you got the, the third album there so like yeah you know, yeah one, I, I haven't checked on that one yet lately but you know <laughs> It's it's fun to do that. I recently did. Uh, I recently on my latest Saint Ranger release, um, I actually put out a sweatsuit that was a lyric sweatsuit. So it was actually I. Uh, oh, I think I've I, seen that. Yeah, I called it the world's most comfortable lyric book, and the <laughs> lyrics to the entire to the entire mixtape are printed on the top and bottom of the sweatsuit. So. Um, yeah, if you wanted the physical release to that one, it wasn't even playable music. It was just you could read along on your pants. Um, so yeah, I don't know things like that. Like when bands, when artists put out like great pieces of merch, like I want them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like if you put out, if you release bad merch or it's and it sucks or you know whatever, like it's it's not like anybody owes it to you to to like oh I listened to you on streaming so now I have to go buy something that I don't really need but like yeah there are enough collectors and then if you put out cool stuff people support you and then that money comes to you and then you can actually like as an indie artist via that or maybe like touring when that comes back although like I have really little aspiration to like tour heavily again mm -hmm. meaning like do more than like weekend shows maybe right, like right. I um I, I don't think that i'll ever get back you know knock on wood back in like a tour bus and do do tw 25 shows in a month ever again um but <laughs> um i sort of paid my dues there um but like yeah I, but like playing shows like could still be really lucrative like the matches would do weekend shows uh when we were doing our reunion tours and those were always really fun and we just select our favorite our favorite locales and cities that were hopefully places that a bunch of people could drive to if we weren't their city and and um and you know not lose money and uh have a good time doing it <laughs> yeah yeah i was actually um i was living in philly and you guys played the fillmore there and um i had a, a friend hit me up and he's like hey i didn't get a hotel room but can i crash it at your house and i'm like what are you talking about he's like oh i just left the matches show and i'm like wait what and i i totally missed it and i was so pissed um but that that's that's my bad on that part but um <laughs> it was just a hilarious kind of uh a moment for me in in my life <laughs> yeah um so what is some advice that you would like to give to a future kind of up and coming group of creatives um uh, uh, help me out be a little more specific just not not that that's not a question i haven't been answered before but like uh <laughs> yeah i know i'm kind of putting we, you on the spot we have like musicians in the room and artists are we just like talking like just generally like i'm sitting in like a middle school rec rec room kind of thing with a microphone in my well, hand <laughs> I, I would say well a little bit of the the, the rec room um yeah. but you know musicians or artists or um anyone anyone that's kind of working in a creative field where it is extremely independent and you you aren't you don't have this kind of scaffolding to climb up you you you're 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 putting out your creative product what's some advice that you have for them oh man i mean i'd, I'd say I'd say, uh, you know, follow, follow your bliss. My mom used to say that to me um, and I would kind of roll my eyes. So this group of middle schoolers would probably roll their eyes at me too. So maybe <laughs> I wouldn't say it, but I would like try to imply it because that feeling, like I was saying, like the stuff that kind of comes easy, like when you're, when you just kind of like collapse your shoulders into water and follow the channels down the, down the mountain of life you can kind of feel which way you want to go um as uh as watery and woo woo as that sounds like that's you can you got to follow those you got to go follow those pathways and 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 that's that's going to lead you to 
like where where your where your soul and in this case your creativity your creative soul wants to wants to take you it's not always going to be where you're like you know you might you might think that it's to go animate for disney but it's it's not quite just but just keep on just like keep flowing follow follow the follow the bliss or the goosebumps or whatever you want to call that feeling yeah i love that i love that um so if if people are are looking for your work, whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's illustration, um, where might they be able to find that? Uh, you can go to, you can either search, uh, oh, this is where I get, in, this is like where it gets all broken apart and splintered and schismed. Go to seanharris.info, which is my website for illustration, although you will find none of my bands there. I don't have a I don't have one hub for my bands. Uh, so I'd go to St. Ranger, which is the word stranger with a period after the T. Um, I go to St. Ranger for my solo stuff. Um, and in whatever streaming platform you're listening to, you can go, oh, you know what? Go find me on Instagram. It's all, it's all there. Although there is Pretend Record Club too. That's, another, that's where most of my music stuff resides right now. It depends. What do you, you want, music or art? You can find it. Just Google Sean Harris. Google Google me. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um, uh, Sean, it's been a, a pleasure talking to you. Um, you're a personal hero of mine, so this has been a, a really great um, experience for me. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it as, as much as I have. Um, everyone, if you are looking for Sean's work, make sure you go check it out um, and make sure to tune in next week for our next episode of Beware the Artist. All right. See you later. Thanks for having me. This was really fun.